0: Join us as we sing God's praises together. I was thinking about the first song that we're singing this week. The first song we're singing is Solid Rock, which is one of the great hymns of the church. And um, I was thinking about the fact that I've sung it my whole life. I don't remember a time before I knew this song. And I think that sometimes when we know songs for that long, we can sort of let the words kind of go by us as we're singing, and we're not really hearing them, we're not really taking them in. And I was watching a video this past week that was just about a couple who's been through some really traumatic experiences and is currently walking in faithfulness through a really hard road still. And at the end of the video, a line from this hymn just popped up. And all it said was, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And I was so moved by that line in a way that I haven't been moved singing this song in a little while. And so I want to encourage all of you as we sing this song, maybe it is new to you, but if it's not, I invite you to sing it with with fresh eyes, with fresh hearts, and allow these words to speak to us once again about our almighty God. Let's sing together.
1: Father God, we thank you today that you are the same yesterday, today, forever, and that we can trust you. We've come to worship today because of who you are and what you've done in our world and what you want to do in our lives. And we pray that this hour of worship will glorify you and help us to know you more intimately. Pour out your blessing on what we do today and on each of us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship before you're seated. Good morning. Just a couple of things that I want to highlight in your bulletin. Um, next Saturday, next weekend is the beginning of Daylight Saving Time. Uh, actually, the uh, end of it. Um, so we'll be pushing your clocks back. And I just wanted you to be aware of that as you come for uh, worship next Sunday. Uh, we are a week away from beginning our prayer vigil. This is a, uh, an annual three, uh, annual event in the life of our church. This is the fifth time we have participated in this three-week, 24-hour-a-day, seven-days-a-week prayer vigil. And uh, we want to encourage you about that. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. But I do want to mention that one of the things we're doing this year that's new is we're beginning the prayer vigil with a prayer walk on next Sunday afternoon at 4. And uh, we are going to be going through various places in, in Houghton as well as the surrounding towns and walking up to uh, institutions and streets, just praying and asking God to do some amazing things among us. So, we'd love to have you be involved in that. You can sign up this morning at the table in the back and jot your name down, and they're divided up into a wide n- number of groups that will be getting together and walking or driving if that's uh, easier, depending on the weather, too. But we want to get together for this prayer walk, and then we'll have a gathering service here at the church uh, before we actually begin the prayer vigil at 5 o'clock next week. So please take note of that. And there's information in your bulletin about the prayer walk and the prayer vigil. you also see a note about being involved at the nursing home. And we'd love to have you do that as we connect together. Um, and also Operation Christmas Child, continuing to collect boxes for that and uh, other concerns in the bulletin and things related to us as well as the world and asking for God's grace and mercy. We have the opportunity now to give back to God in, from the, all the ways in which he's blessed us and we ask the ushers to come and assist us.
2: Your kindness leads us to repentance. Your goodness draws us to your side. Your mercy calls us to be like you. Your favor is our
0: call to you hear our prayer lord listen to our cry for mercy when we are in distress we call to you because you answer us among the gods there is none like you lord no deed can compare with yours all the nations you have made will come and worship before you lord they will bring glory to your name for you are great and do marvelous deeds you alone are god
3: your Kindness is forever You're good.
1: moment when we pray together, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come join me. Please be seated. Oh Lord God, you are good we can't say it enough we can't sing it enough you are good you are merciful and gracious compassionate good we come today clearly acknowledging we don't deserve your goodness and yet you're good anyway. And you pour out blessing and goodness to each of us. Father, as recipients of your goodness, we bring to you all the burdens and the concerns, all of our struggles. We know that you love us and you're working for us whether we see you or not. We know that you are with us in our struggles and we know that you are transforming us, whether that transformation takes place in the way we think or not. Father, in your goodness, we ask for your gentle care for your children who live in this fallen world. And particularly, we think of those who are most vulnerable. We pray for those who suffer innocently because of cruelty, for people caught in the crossfire of war and conflict, for the hungry and the homeless, for those who are broken and defeated. And despairing. And we pray that you will heal. Restore. That you will feed and clothe. And that you will give hope. To all who are in need. Father we pray that you will so burden us. And so burden your people throughout the world. To feel such compassion. For the most vulnerable among us. That we beg you to let us be agents of calm and peace and compassion and love. Father, this is our prayer that we offer to you today through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our returning King, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom of and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
2: Scripture this morning is taken from the book of Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Please stand as we read Scripture. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one to carry their own load nevertheless the one who receives instruction in the word should should share all the good things with the instructor do not be deceived god cannot be mocked a man reaps what he sows whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap the harvest If we do not give up, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Take all I am, Lord
3: all that I cling to. You are my Savior, I owe everything to. Take all the treasures that lie in my storehouse.
1: Please be seated. I'm going to ask you a question that's probably kind of hard to answer. Are you a good person? Are you a good person? Now it's different than some of the things that we've been talking about over the course of of the last few weeks. It's it's one thing to say I'm a kind person. It's something it's something to say I am a peacemaking person. Or I am a joyful person. But it sort of feels different when you ask, I, am I a good person? When people look at me, do they see goodness?" Now. We wrestle with the answer to that question because we wrestle with being good. It's a struggle for us. Paul, the Apostle Paul understands that. In Romans 7, he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that's exactly what I do. And I'm frustrated with myself because I'm not as good as I would like to be. We struggle with being good. I I suspect that that in one way or another, we can relate to the the philosophical uh, mindset that Calvin has in this cartoon, in his dialogue with Hobbes. And he says, if heaven is good and if I like to be bad, how am I supposed to be happy there? And Hobbes says, well, how will you get to heaven if you like to be bad? And Calvin says, let's say I didn't do what I wanted to do. Suppose I led a blameless life. Suppose I denied my true dark nature. I'm not sure I have that much imagination. Maybe heaven is a place where you're allowed to be bad. And that's part of the way we handle that. Well, you know, I might not be good, but I'm not that bad. And maybe God isn't all that interested in people being good. Maybe there are other things going on. Maybe good is, is, is all relative. Well, that's certainly the perspective that we find in our culture. And our culture is not shy about identifying goodness. We are not at all shy about saying, that's good, that's bad. We do that with our judicial system. There are certain things, that crimes that people commit that are clearly on the bad side. And we have no problem punishing people for that. But when it comes to the good side, it gets a little bit fuzzy. What does it mean to be good? Most of the time, good is, is reflected in some way as, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Or it's, it, you're good if you think the way I think. One of the phrases that, you know, buzzwords in our culture is tolerance. And and tolerance is a good word, but it's sort of a code word for a lot of the ways that we understand the world and life. And so tolerance becomes, you're good if you're tolerant about the things I'm tolerant about. You're bad if you're not. And so now our description of goodness and tolerance, uh, it, it, it creates an atmosphere of intolerance. But as long as you're intolerant about the things that I'm intolerant about, then that's okay. And it's, it's all this, this mixed up idea. But the bottom line is, we live in a culture that understands there are some things that are good and some things that are bad. And we basically value goodness. So my question is, when Paul comes to the to the fruit of the Spirit and, and he says, the fruit of the Spirit what happens with people who are walking in the Spirit, a a person's life who is committed to the Spirit and controlled to the Spirit, the fruit that comes out of them is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Somehow that goodness has to be different than everybody else's view of goodness. If it's not, what point does the Spirit play? What's the difference? Something has to be different. And I think it's this, the goodness that Paul describes, the goodness that Paul is talking about here and the goodness that scripture talks about is a self-giving attitude that leads us to sacrificial action. It's a self-giving attitude that leads us to sacrificial action. Now, this word that Paul uses here is, is not all that common. It's only used about a dozen times in the Greek Old Testament. It's used only three other times in the New Testament. It's, there are derivatives and cognates of this word that are used a lot. And, and, it, and it's, it's out there, but it keeps coming back to this mindset of Sacrifice. And that means when we talk about goodness that comes from a life in the Spirit, it's going to involve something more than just, you're good if you agree with me. And I'll be good to you if you're good to me. It's deeper than that, like all the rest of the fruit. It is continually challenging us to sacrifice, to self-giving, to thinking about how we act, not just about people who agree with us, who, who are like us, who are good to us but everyone and particularly the people who are not good to us particularly to the people who disagree with us who have a completely different view of life than us Paul says here in Galatians 6 in the passage we just read let us do good to all people and that means the people we like and the people we don't like the people we agree with and the people we don't agree with. The people who embrace our way of thinking and the people who reject our way of thinking. It's about being good to all of them. And that will always mean, in some form, sacrifice. It's intriguing to me that there are some scholars who, who see in the meaning of this word that Paul uses here, that we translate goodness... The idea, this underlying idea of generosity. And, and you see that in... Uh, one of the places you see that is in Matthew 20. Jesus tells a parable uh, about uh, a guy who has a vineyard... ...and he goes into, into the center of the city in early in the morning... ...and a- asking who wants to work. And a number of guys say, yeah, we'll go work. He said, I'll pay you a denarii. It's a good salary for a day's work. So they go off and they work. And every few hours, the master keeps coming back to the center of the city and finding more people who are willing to work. And they, and he, they keep going out to work. Even to the last hour of the day, he finds someone who, people who are willing to go work. And then when the day is done, he lines them all up. And the people at the front of the line are the people who worked, who just started an hour before. And he gives them a denarii. And the guys at the other end of the line are saying, Oh, this is great. We're going to get more than we thought. But as Jesus goes down, or the master goes down the road, everybody gets the denarii. Even the people who worked all day, they get the same thing as the people who worked an hour. And they are ticked off about that. And I get that. I'd be ticked off too. I mean, what are you doing here? That's not fair. And what does the master say? He says, are you envious of my generosity? And the word that's used there is a connecting word to the one Paul uses. Are you jealous? Are you envious of my goodness? Of my expression of generosity that is goodness. In one way or another, goodness is going to be connected to generosity. Because when you stop and think about it, what is it that we're talking about when we talk about sacrifice? We're talking about being generous, talking about giving away, not just a little bit, but what we have. We're talking about being generous with whatever we may have. And it's one of the significant ways in which we display and, and exude goodness. Now, what does that look like? I think, for one thing, it, it speaks to what we do with what we possess. Giving is, is, is an act, an expression of generous, sacrificial Goodness. Talking about money, talking about our possessions, what do we do with what we have? How do how do we how do we handle that? Is our primary mindset how much can I give or how much can I keep? If we're going to be, if we're going to be people of the spirit who exude goodness, the goodness of the spirit, we'll be generous with what we have. Now, when it comes to money. In the church, we talk about the tithe, and uh, the tithe is an Old Testament principle, and it means 10%. And so we talk about people giving their tithe, 10% of their income, to the kingdom of God, typically to the church. There are people who say, in the church, who say, well, that's an Old Testament concept, that's outdated, we don't do that anymore, we're New Testament people, we don't have to worry about the tithe. And I agree wholeheartedly. Paul, in fact, tells the Corinthians, you know what? Don't worry about the tithe. Now, that may surprise people say, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. Well, Paul goes on to say, don't worry about the tithe because what you ought to be thinking about is not the minimum amount you give, but about how generous you can be with what you have. And instead of talking about the tithe that tends to make us think, I only give 10%, think about generosity that goes way beyond 10% often the question we're asking subconsciously is, how little can I give and still be okay with God? And the scripture keeps telling us, we ought to be thinking, how much can I give away and learn to trust God? How much can I give away so that I can help other people and advance the kingdom of God? And if we are going to be people, if we are people who walk in the Spirit, if we are people who are living in the Spirit and we are exuding the fruit of the Spirit, this goodness, this characteristic of goodness is in some way or another going to affect our generosity with how we give and what we do with what we have. I want to challenge us to think about what we are doing with what we have and the mindset and the attitude and our actions about our giving. I also think this applies to how we serve. Ministry is an act of generous, sacrificial goodness. What are we doing for other people? How are we serving other people? How are we giving of our time and our energy for other people? Now, when we talk about ministry and service, often what tends to come up is we start thinking about what our gifts are. And, and that's a good thing to do. There are a whole bunch of, of tests you can take to determine what are your spiritual gifts. What are the things that, that where you are most gifted to use in the ministry of God's kingdom? And we take the tests and we look at the answers. And what typically happens then is we sit back and we wait for the perfect answer ministry to come along that fits our gifts. It's one of the reasons why I have mixed feelings about gift tests. Because it often has a tendency to lock us in to this is all I do. And the reality is, if the Spirit is in our lives, and if we are walking in the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is coming out of us in this characteristic of goodness, we're not worried so much about our gifts. We see places with need and we just go do it. It, Really, what our gifts are really don't have any bearing on it. It's the need. And we see the need and we say, hey, I could do that. That might not be my favorite thing to do. That might not be the first thing I gravitate toward. But there's a need and I can fill that need. And we jump in. And what I find interesting is that when we do that, we find something rising in us to say, you know what, this is a little more of my gifting than I thought. Instead of being limited about I'm only going to do this, we start thinking like the Spirit does of how much can I do. And that doesn't mean we have to meet every need. doesn't mean we feel guilty about every little thing that comes along that we don't do. We feel guilty because we don't do everything. We have to be wise about it. But I suspect for most of us, the issue is less about I'm doing too much and I need to come back. But rather, what am I doing at all in the service of God's kingdom? How am I ministering to other people? How am I using my gifts and talents and abilities? And instead of thinking about how it fits into our schedule or not, we start thinking about the needs that we see in front of us and how in the world is there any way that I can work things out so that I can be a part of that. Instead of the mindset of how can the church and God's people serve me, it becomes, how can I serve the church and God's people? You read through the New Testament and Jesus it tells, talks about Jesus going about doing good, healing and teaching and working miracles. And there are a number of instances in the scripture where it's clear that Jesus really is doing has something else to do. And people come to him and say, there's a whole bunch of folks out there waiting for you. And he says, okay, is it convenient for him? It doesn't seem like it, but he does it because his heart is filled with the Spirit's service. And I think the other thing that comes to my mind is prayer. That prayer is an act of generous, sacrificial goodness. We may not always think of prayer that way because we tend to think of prayer as as something we do when we feel like it, or something we do as a part of a routine, we have devotions. And those are important. It's important to do both of those. But ultimately, the deeper dynamic of prayer is sacrificial, it's an act of generosity that we take on the burdens other people are facing and we pray, we intercede for them and we give up our time. And if you've ever spent time praying seriously for someone in need and you pray for a while and you get done, there's a, there's a sense of joy and awe of being in the presence of God, but there's also a sense of exhaustion because you have given yourself to those Prayers. someone I was reading this week someone said you know if you boil it down everybody prays it may look different it may be a God if you get me out of this I'll do this for you it may be a, it may be a, a shaking the fist at God but in most of the time everybody prays the difference for people who are walking in the spirit is that we approach prayer with a mindset of sacrifice and of generosity and of giving of ourselves. And this is one of the reasons why we keep doing these prayer vigils every year, because it is it's a mo, it's three weeks in which we can begin to to experience what it feels like to sacrifice in prayer for other people. Well, we can In the time of, of coming before God and opening our hearts to God and letting God speak into our lives. And, and the prayer time for you, it'll be all over the board. Sometimes we go to pray and we're pouring out our heart to God and we need God to just work in us. Other times we go to pray, and it's all about other people's needs, about the world, about our communities, about all the different places that we are connected to, or things that we don't even know but we care about, and we see the needs. And we, we, we go to the prayer room, and we spend an hour. And a lot of people, especially the first time you do it, think, how in the world can I possibly pray for an hour? How is that going to happen? That's part of the sacrifice. It's part of learning how to pray is to just go and to do it. And to be there representing other people, interceding for other people, giving of our time and our energy and our efforts for other people. And as we think about the prayer vigil, maybe your place of generosity is giving up your lunch hour, or maybe it's, it's giving up a, a night, a, an hour at home, watching a, your favorite television program, or maybe it's coming in the middle of the night and giving up an hour of sleep. But it, it, it's coming because prayer is that important to us, and we're willing to give our time and our energy to pray. As we've been talking throughout this, these weeks, we've been connecting various uh, literal fruit with uh, the fruit of the spirit, and and this week we're using blueberries to represent the the fruit of goodness. And, and the reason we chose blueberries is because blueberries have become sort of the the superfood of fruit. You know, if you read about blueberries, you, you you know they're high in in antioxidants. They have manganese. They have uh, Fiber, they have vitamin C, and everything about blueberries is good for you know our bones and, and preventing disease and our digestive system and there's the whole thing. It seems like they cover so much of of the needs that we have, and they have become this superfood of fruit. Prayer is the superfood of goodness. Prayer is the channel, the avenue. As we embrace prayer in our lives in a sacrificial, generous way, the Spirit begins to work in us. And if we want to be people who exude this spirit of this characteristic of goodness, it's going to come through prayer. Opening our hearts to God, spending time with God, being sacrificial with God. Coming to the Father for other people. Sometimes I think we have this mindset that goodness is about what we don't do. Right? I mean, we have a checklist of these are bad things, and we're good because we don't do these bad things. Hey, I'm not involved in immorality. Uh, I didn't get drunk on Saturday night, I didn't cheat on the test. I didn't lie to my boss. I'm good. I'm, I've got it made. And there's not. There is something to that. Those things do matter. But there is. There is in that. In that sense of goodness as what we don't do. Sort of this connection. This 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 prison of law, and rules. And goodness is about so much more than that. It's about it's about the freedom to do what is good. Not just the bondage of making sure we don't do what is wrong. And the difference is going to involve a high level of risk. It's, it's, it's pretty safe to sit back and say, okay, I'm not doing that, not doing that, not doing that. And we kind of make our own checklist, so we ought to be pretty good at it. But the goodness that, that Paul's talking about is going beyond ourselves. It's engaging ourselves with people. It's getting out there. It is actually doing good in the world. And that's a challenge. That's a risk. When I was a child, we used to sing uh, this, the, a song that comes out of the, the holiness movement, the gospel song movement. And we used to sing this song. And it's like this, I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wild seas no more. The tempest may sweep o'er the wild stormy deep. In Jesus, I'm safe evermore. And I like that song. I like the melody of that song, I like the harmonies of that song. I remember my grandmother playing that on a record on her old hi-fi stereo when I was a little boy. And she had the Haven of Rest quartet. And, and And I like the imagery of being safe in Jesus. There's a comfort, the security of that. But the more I ponder the words of that song, the more uncomfortable I feel. Because I don't think we were created and I don't think we were recreated in Christ to just stay at the shore. I think we were created and recreated to get out into the water. You build a boat. You don't build a boat to, to moor it to the dock. I mean, it's, you know, it's comfortable and you don't have to worry about much happening there. But that's not why you build a boat. You build a boat to get it out onto the sea, out into the water. But the minute you go out into the open sea, all kinds of risks Are now potential for you. It could spring a leak. A huge storm could come up. All radio could go out. All kinds of things that could happen. But why build a boat if you're just going to moor it to the dock? What's the point? And as as followers of Christ, there is risk in going out and doing good. We may be rejected. We may fail. We probably will fail. That's okay. I'm convinced God is much more pleased by our attempts that may end up sometimes in failure than playing it safe sitting on the shore. I think about the parable of the talents. The master has getting ready to go on a trip there's three guys he gives them all talents and says you know i'm going to come back in a while and the first two take their talents they invest them and they double what they were given the third one in fear buries his in the ground and when the master comes back he says so what have you got for me and the first two say look what we did we took risks and the master says well done good and faithful servants and the other guy comes and says, Look, I didn't take any risks, but here's what you gave me. I didn't lose it. And the master condemns him the harshest punishment. You cannot do goodness in safety. That's why it's sacrificial. It's about generosity. It's about self-giving. It's about taking risks. And the reason we do it is because we have a God we can trust. Why do we sail our ship out into the waters that could be dangerous? Because we trust God. And actually sitting by the shore is a clear indication we really don't trust We can go out, we can be good, we can risk, we can give of ourselves because no matter what happens, God is there and God is good. And the reason we care about goodness is because we have received God's goodness. It starts in Genesis when he says, After every day of creating, this is good. And it continues through the Old Testament of God is good, God is good. Even when we sin, God is good. Even when we reject God, God is good. Even when God sends his people into exile, God is good. Until ultimately, his goodness comes to fulfillment at the cross. And he says, through Christ, I want to make you people who are good through my spirit. We don't make ourselves good. Only the spirit can create that atmosphere, of that fruit of goodness in us, but we have to want it. We have to be willing to, to let God work in the soil of our lives and that's gonna mean pulling up some weeds and that's hard and digging out some rocks and that's painful and chopping away at the crusty soil of our hearts. And I don't like that. But if we want fruit to come out we got to let him. So my question for us this morning is, do you want the Spirit to create the characteristic of goodness in your life? Whatever that may mean, whatever that may be, he wants to. Because in that in that goodness, in that spirit of goodness is joy and peace and the fullness of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you and you have a passion for us to be people who exude goodness through your Spirit. Whatever things may be blocking the way, whatever in us is maybe preventing you from producing this fruit in us, help us today to let it go to surrender, to give it to you. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to give you again opportunity to respond to whatever God may be saying to you. And there are cards at the outside and insides of each row. Pass those down the row. Make sure everybody gets one of those. And some point today, write on your card... What God may be saying to you about goodness, it might be a word of of encouragement, it might be a word of conviction, whatever it may be, and I want to challenge us again this week to to take five minutes every day to pray for the spirit of goodness to grow in us through the spirit and this morning, if you would like someone to pray with you about something specific, the elders are downstairs at the prayer room and would we'll be happy to listen to you, talk with you, and to pray with you. I also want to give you the opportunity and to, to make sure you have, you have it's clear to you, the opportunity to be a part of the prayer vigil. This is, for some of you who have been here for a while, you probably have participated in it and, and you have experiences that you're falling back on. Others of you, this may be brand new to you and you may be thinking, how in the world do I spend an hour in prayer? We're going to get, You can sign up this morning, and let me encourage you to do that. To sign up this morning, you can sign up in the upper foyer, down below in the lower foyer, in the CE building foyer. This takes about 30, 60 seconds to sign up. You can do it online anytime, but do it now if you can while you're thinking about it. And um, it is a little bit uh, it is a, it's a little bit overwhelming to think about praying for an hour if you've not done that. There's a lot in the prayer rooms that help you, help you as you pray during that time. And while the things that, that we have done through the years have varied, and we want to show you a video. This is from the first year we did the prayer vigil. And there are some things in the room that will be different, but you get a little bit of a feel for the variety of things that are a part of being in this prayer event. And we'd love to have you as well be a part of the prayer walk. I think that could have a significant bearing on your life as well. So as we watch this, be thinking about and preparing to sign up even as we leave the service this morning.
0: join us as we sing.
1: Keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>